Well, good morning. My name is Miles Barnhart, and I have the honor to serve on our youth ministry staff here at FUMC alongside Love Dubose and Carrington McTeer. If you're looking for them this morning, you will not see them in here. We got a lot going on today, so they're probably with the bake sale or they're setting up for our event taking place after worship this morning. But I just wanted to take a few minutes to talk about our annual winter weekend that happened this past weekend. Our theme this year was Expedition. And we spent the weekend journeying on some of the roads and paths that Jesus traveled during his life and ministry. It was also a fitting title because traveling anywhere with 111 teenagers deserves a title such as Expedition. So what were we able to accomplish in those 48 hours at Shaco Springs? We were able to worship, fellowship, participate in family group discussions, play games, dance, enjoy some free time, and even eat a few meals along the way, a few camp meals along the way. But of all the things we were able to do, there was one thing that just did not happen, my friends, and that was sleep. Our times of worship were full of song and prayer and messages from our speaker, Lou Alleman. He began each lesson by saying, what's up, fam? I've told Jay I think he should start his sermons like that. After he hit him with that greeting, our youth were locked in for the duration of the time. He was an incredibly gifted speaker, but I think the thing that stood out to me the most was how he took the time to be with all of our youth, to be present with them at meals and at free time and other activities. We were extremely blessed to have him with us. Lowe guided us on our expedition as we began in Jericho and heard the story of Zacchaeus, which reminded us that God calls us to move where we are, for, are currently to go on an expedition with him. We then traveled to Jerusalem, where Lowe preached on Jesus' arrival, where he arrived to Jerusalem on a colt. Lowe reminded us that Jesus did not arrive by boasting his glory and power, but by instead being humble and loving to those around him. Saturday evening, we took a journey to Calvary, and we talked about the love and grace God has for each of us, and how the cross represents that to this very day. And our voyage ended in Emmaus, where we learned almost in the same way that Cleopas did, that God wants us to invite him into our lives. Before each worship session, our youth gathered into family groups with their respective grades and took the time to take a little bit of a deeper dive into the lessons and scriptures we were talking about. Those groups were led by our fearless, and I mean our fearless, volunteers. We have some of them here this morning with us. So if you were here with us this past winter weekend, can you please stand up so we can applaud you and thank you for being with us this weekend? Don't be shy. There we go. This weekend in this youth ministry as a whole cannot and would not be possible without these volunteers. So make sure you thank them any chance you get. Sydney Carroll and Derek back there, you have no choice. You married into this. I'm very sorry, but thank you for being here. I think if you asked any of our youth, what was your favorite part about winter retreat? You might get a different answer from all of them. We had a few say that they really enjoyed our times of worship together. Some of them said that they enjoyed being with their family groups and having some real and honest conversations with one another. There were quite a few of us that said it was a celebration on Saturday night, and that was a very fun time. Some also said that the three-on-three -three basketball tournament that took place was their least favorite thing because they might have had to play this powerhouse team made up of Lo Alleman, Bobby Trott, and our very own Lucas Tribble, the team that inevitably won the entire tournament. 
against teenagers. <laughs> but I digress. The beauty of Winter Retreat is that in the midst of all the fun and at times the chaos, it makes space for authentic opportunities for our youth to grow in relationship with one another and in their relationship with Christ. In our conversations after the weekend, Love put it best when she said, the whole weekend can best be described by Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul talks about God being able to do far more than we could ever imagine or ask for. Lives were changed during winter retreat. On our last night, all the youth received a bracelet, and I had one, but I also have a two-year-old cavapoo who ripped it off of my arm in excitement when I got home. But the bracelet simply reads, the expedition starts here. And I think this serves as a reminder that these kinds of experiences are not meant to be these three-day mountaintop experiences where you go home and return to normal, but instead as a catalyst for whatever journey God has called our youth to be on. And we have absolutely no doubt that your prayers and your words and your love played a major part in that this weekend. Before, during, and after winter retreat, our youth staff and volunteers have been praying for our students, many by name. And we also want to express gratitude to all of you who have joined us in these prayers, not only for winter retreat, but for this youth ministry as a whole. We look forward to continuing our expedition together. And to our youth, we'll see you on February 26th as we kick off our month of madness at the movies. As we continue with worship this morning, we'll do so with our gospel lesson, which comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. At this time, we'll ask you to stand as you are able to, for the reading of the gospel. Hear now the word of God. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you? who if, you, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish, or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the Word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Miles. Thank you, Miles. Lord, teach us how to pray. That was the request of the disciples. That is our prayer for today. That is our prayer for this season. Lord, teach us how to pray. We have that in mind with our fifth core value. We need to pray that same prayer. Teach us how to pray, Lord. 
Because sometimes we get close and can be so far off. I ran across a few prayers of the people. I thought I'd share them with you. One says, Lord, have you ever prayed this? Please do not let my spouse be home when the Amazon packages arrive. Is that teaching us how to... Lord, as your humble servant, let me prove to you that winning Powerball won't change me at all. Is that... Is that I don't know if that's... And then finally, my favorite is, so far, holy God, I have not been grumpy, gossipy, angry, nasty, selfish, greedy. I have not whined, complained, spoken ill of anyone, indulged in unhealthy food or drink. But I will be getting out of bed in just a minute. <laughs> and I'm sure that I'll need your help when I do. Lord, teach us how to pray before our feet hit the ground and certainly every minute after they do. Dwight Moody said, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but he taught them how to pray. Touche. Touche. Here we are with our fifth core value. We are a biblically focused Christian community that practices faithful stewardship so that we can remain focused on mission and service, which is undergirded by this fifth core value of prayer, and then celebrate it to the glory of God by our sixth core value, reverent worship, which we will celebrate next Sunday as we conclude this series. Uh, this core values series has been quite timely as a new beginning to this new year with tension and unrest and with so many uh, New Year's resolutions, with the loss of friends, with so many family members who have departed us, with so many new members who have come into the life of our church. We are committing to commitment by committing to our covenant to become more holy. I'm reminded that these core values are who we are genetically. They are our DNA as a congregation. We pass them down one generation to the next. We do it now by practicing them for our children and for our students. What type biblically focused growth are you passing along to the next generation? Is the next generation seeing you engaged in Christian community? Is the next generation inheriting faithful stewardship or fearful stewardship? Does the next generation see us as focused on mission and service? Do our children and grandchildren know that the forward motion of the church, the only motion of the church is the motion that follows the Holy Spirit in mission. And for today, Lord, listen to your children praying as we pass along this core value, which says in full narrative form, we value the importance of prayer as a means of communication with God. Our, our priorities, decisions, and actions reflect the essential value of prayer. It's a cute little jingle, but one... It stuck with me this week. It's pretty simple. A church that prays together stays together. Do you believe it? A church that prays itself toward mission and scriptural authority and scriptural interpretation and scriptural application toward Christian community and in Christian community. A church that prays itself into the next chapter of its story with God and one another. It stays together. We have prayerfully discerned God's will for our church at any number of marks throughout our 193-year history. Certainly prior to now, only we continue focusing on mission and vision and values as that which we prayerfully discern. 
The church has the corner market on that word. For 1,800 years, we have prayerfully committed ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of, of one another toward mission and service and ministry. For example, we had a team discover these core values about 12 years ago. They spent an entire year listening to God and to God's people in home meetings. Some of you remember that. And we listened to the saints on whose shoulders we stand and we drew from their wisdom and from their experience. And here we are with these six core values. We had another team spend 14 months visioning and praying about what would become Plan 2020. The punctuation mark for that prayerful season of discernment became community partnerships and the impact renovations, meaning it's time to begin focusing on the next chapter, praying into the future of mission and communal identity through prayer because a church that prays together will stay together. During the latter visioning process for Plan 2020, we used 2 Chronicles 7.14. That's the verse attached to this fifth core value, that in the Lord's Prayer from Luke's Gospel that Miles just read. And every day at 7.14 a.m. and 7.14 p.m., the church was praying about God's mission and ministry for the future. We had little stickers printed. Those were on computers and on Yeti cups and coffee mugs, and they were just all over the place. You may remember some of those. At 7.14 a.m. at 7.14 p.m., we prayed for our staff. We prayed for the Plan 2020 team and Sunday school classes and elected lay leaders and community partnerships. We prayed about ways to strengthen our connection and unify us locally around mission and ministry. That was our focus. And 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they'll seek my face and turn from their sin, I will hear them from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We prayed that every single day for one year, persistently, patiently, without a goal or a timeline in mind. We just prayed it and then listened. We prayed it aloud, and then we listened. Since 1929, the archways of this door have that same sort of dance in mind. One side of the archway, when you're coming in, says, uh, let all of creation enter with praise and thanksgiving. The other side says, let all mortal flesh be silent. Which is it? It's both. <laughs> Every goal listed from those home meetings was accomplished in some form because we're a church that says, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then we're willing to show up and be an answer to that prayer. We're willing to show up and, and help be a fulfillment of those same prayers. A church that prays can stay together because we become a living prayer for one another and for our community. I don't know, maybe we need to recycle that 714 praying thing. Because if we're not praying the same direction with the same purpose about mission and, and ministry and the people God loves, then... We're kind of like a ship without a sail. That's, that's really prayer, right? It's, it's hoisting the sail in the air and then asking for the Holy Spirit to come blow in a mighty way like Pentecost. Lord, teach us to pray because there's not a perfect denomination. God knows there's not a perfect preacher. There's not a perfect congregation, but there is a perfect Savior with perfecting grace toward a world to which He is calling us to help redeem as we move on to perfection together. Lord, teach us to pray together toward mission. Here we are with this fifth value. And 
early disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and Jesus' response to that was the Lord's Prayer, what we call Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. It's a little different from Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't say what we wished it would have said, does it? He says, pray in this way. Pray our Father, not my Father, our, our Father, thy will, not my will, be done. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom that I want for this world. I assume that, you know, they had corporate prayers and synagogue worship and daily devotional prayers and all that religious structure aside when they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. I think it came from a deep place. Lord, we're, we're lacking something. John's disciples have something that we don't. We want it. Teach us, teach us how to pray. That's a humble question. Teach us how to pray. It should be the prayer we all pray. Teach us how to pray, Lord, because we're not doing it quite right. We tend to pray too much, my will, not thy will, my kingdom, not thy kingdom. Teach us how to pray, Lord, because we crave forgiveness. But we don't always want to forgive someone else, especially those whose persistence is more harmful than holy. Teach us how to pray, Lord. We may be focusing too much on denomination and not enough on transformation and the Great Commission. Teach us how to pray, Lord, because you're our Father, our collective Father of, of all people. For, regardless of the labels that we place on ourselves or the labels that someone else places, we are your children, created in your image. Teach us how to pray, Lord, because each time we find ourselves in a time of trial, it's not because of you. It's, it's an adversary trying to pull us apart from you and from one another and from ourselves. Teach us how to pray, Lord. I've thought about how those early disciples must have felt and followed once they were given the Lord's Prayer. How did they make it through and stay together through such adversity? After the death of their leader, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, and, and here they were, this, this quite diverse lot, weren't they? Tax collector, or financial in investor, a couple of zealots on the team, you know, fishermen, uh, blue-collared, white-collared. I mean, they were just all kind of there. Men and women, by the way, who ended up following Jesus, dropping it all to give their lives to this movement. They were fearful of change. They, they wanted tradition, and they wanted to push against tradition. They, one or two, wanted to insurrect the government. They didn't know how to feel about Jesus welcoming so many outsiders into His mission, yet also calling those same outsiders to flee from sin, to join the movement, but clean up your life at the same time. Because an experience with Jesus changes us, not Him. They didn't know whether to abolish or to fulfill, to accept or to, not, to deny. So after His arrest, His death, His burial, they just decided to split up, to abandon one another. It's too hard to overcome, too frightening to figure out, too risky to be seen together. But then, resurrection then resurrection changed everything. It was a new day. The eighth day of creation, as some call it. It's why so many baptismal fonts, ours included, have eight sides. Did you know that? Some of you are going to count it just a minute to make sure. I'd... Yeah. It has eight sides. It's a new day. A new creation. Not only did Jesus overcome suffering and death, His rising was a sign that there's no stone large enough to prevent Jesus from comforting and leading and sending His church to transform lives. Why is it then that we continue to roll stones 
in front of the tombs that Christ is trying to open to set us free. Mumford and Sons is one of my favorite bands, and they have this wonderful song called Roll Away Your Stone. Do you know it? Roll away your stone and I'll roll away mine. Together we'll see what we can find. Don't leave me alone at this time, for I'm afraid of what I might discover inside. Because you told me that I would find a hole within this fragile substance of my soul, and I have filled this void with things unreal, and all the while my character steals darkness is a harsh term, don't you think? And yet it dominates the things I see. It seems that all my bridges have been burned. But you say that's exactly how this grace thing works. Don't you love that? It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with a restart. Each prayer of, of a church together is a moment of, of resurrection where the stones entombing the human heart are rolled away and where each person praying receives a restart by grace because our collective story is bigger than any one of us. Lord, teach us to pray to roll away some stones, to walk together, to be received by your grace. A church daring enough to pray together will remain together in mission and ministry despite differences. No matter what bridges have been burnt, that's exactly the way grace works to fill us up. We've always found a way to pray ourselves through difficult seasons can't arrive at a place like this in 2023 and not have prayed through slavery and a civil war, segregation and civil rights, and so many other challenges along the way. Those were hard seasons. They required persistence in prayer, and yet here we are, not perfect and not without wounds and not without scars. We didn't do it right all the time. We still don't, but we're together in this other season of challenge, and I just ask, who will rise to pray through and who has enough courage to say, can we stay at the table and pray together and show up and be an answered prayer for one another and for the sake of our community? Oftentimes, it's fun to talk to people about when they pray and how they pray and where they pray. And you all have, we all have our different routines and places and venues and, and words and things that we say. But the main thing is, the main question is, why do we pray? Early on in my walk with Jesus, I thought prayer was like putting a couple of quarters in a Coke machine, pressing uh, the selection and, and vending what I wanted. Kind of like praying for an elephant. I never really prayed for an elephant. I really just prayed for other things, but that's a big ask. I love it. I love it. I pay, the machine provides. I pray, heaven provides. That's the way we think prayer works. But the things for which we ask and seek and knock are more about a we than, than me. The deeper my faith has grown, I've realized that prayer is not about me at all. Once I realized it was not about me getting my way, the quicker I realized that life isn't about me either. It's about we. It's about we, not me. It's about thy, not my will. When we confuse those two things, we find ourselves quite miserable. Incessantly pursuing power and control, we miss the Spirit's work among us. We feel disappointed more days than not. We miss the chance to be a blessing to others as we're called to be. We, not me, is a big shift in discipleship. Lord, teach us to pray ourselves away from ourselves and toward one another. Lord, teach us to pray ourselves away from ourselves and toward one another. Then Jesus goes into this kind of comical parable, doesn't he? He gives them the Lord's Prayer. Teach us how to pray. Okay, here's your, here's your form. 
And then he says, just, and then stay at it. Some people say, why do you, you know, can't I just pray and God's heard my prayer and that's the only thing I need to do? Well, yes, but why do we pray the Lord's Prayer every single week? Because it's followed by this, this parable about the persistence in, in prayer. And this friend, it's somewhat comical because a friend has, has some guests who come over at midnight, the darkest time of the night, right? At midnight. And they've forgotten to go to the grocery store. It's like coming, I don't know, it's like someone came over after the Super Bowl to talk about the commercials and officiating and all the snacks had run out, right? There were no more. So this guy's out of supplies, and that alone would have caused great shame in a culture around hospitality. So he goes to his neighbor, says, hey, I need some late-night party snacks. And they, if the neighbor refuses, it's another layer of shame brought on this. But for a friend to arise in the middle of the night means the whole house has to awaken. All the animals, all the children, spouse, you know, it takes a long time to get all that settled. And here we are unsettling the whole household just for three loaves of bread. There's two lessons here. One is about perseverance, and the other is about a willingness to respond to a need. On whose behalf are you willing to pound God's door when midnight moments arise? It's easy to petition God on behalf of those with whom we agree, but I wonder if true midnight pounding type faith on behalf of persons we don't know, we don't necessarily agree with, we don't routinely do life with, on behalf of those who, you know, we just don't, jail with. I wonder if that persistence in prayer is next level discipleship that honors God and strengthens the church. Jesus seems to be telling the disciples to pound on God's door anytime we're facing a midnight hour of life. God is not disturbed or put off by those prayers. God is honored by that request that we would be so bold to come on behalf of someone else who has a need in the middle of the night to disrupt because somebody has a need. My question today is, is if we pound on God's door at midnight wanting our way for those who are closest in our circles or if we're willing equally to be persistent in prayer for an enemy or to pray for those who persecute or pray for those who believe differently but love Jesus equally, are we willing to pound on God's door for understanding and not certitude, for healing and not hypotheticals, to pray for faith over fear and peace over pride and hope over hate and more listening ears than words that cause tears. We're willing to pound on God's door for that, for future while honoring the past, for humility over hostility, to pray for unity amid diversity. Someone said the difference between perseverance and obstinacy is that one often comes from a strong will and the other from a strong won't. How our children and grandchildren perceive us when they tell this story about this current season that's requiring prayer. And Lord, teach us to pray with perseverance for one another, with one another, towards one another. Teach us to pray as you prayed. To pray that the church would be one as you are one with the Trinity. Did you pick up on that in Jesus' red letters? Make my disciples one as you are one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, unified, although diverse. We pray together to stay together, to serve together, to grieve together, to celebrate together, to dream together, to hope together, to laugh together, to cry together, to live at peace together, because if we don't model this for the world and the community around us, who will? How will the world know to pray and to show up and to stick it out if the church doesn't model that for itself? Lord, teach us to pray.
because we are far more than the sum of our parts. We are your bride, your body, your beloved for whom you gave your own life. The least we can do in prayer is give ourselves for one another. To the glory of God. Amen.